You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, Kristen. How's it going today? I'm feeling very excited. Yeah? What are you excited for? It's a sunny day and just feeling good about Togetherland coming along. And we're just on the heels of a really fun trip. We were in Chicago. Yeah, we didn't meet any mobsters that we know of. But we did pretty well everything else that Chicago has to offer. We walked in like four and a half days, I think 60 kilometers. Something like that. We walked 20 kilometers the first day alone. So it was definitely getting up there by the end of it. We were moving. But that's how we like to take in a city. We've never been there. So we had the whole list of things to do. We took it all in in its entirety. And what were some of your highlights? Definitely seeing the National. Yeah. One of our favorite bands. And they're not a band that everyone has heard of. Though they've collaborated with Taylor Swift, who everyone has heard of. They're very big in certain circles. Circles like ours. Circles we, like it was ours. funny because when we got there, I felt like we had found our, our people. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone kind of looked the same and we were in the same age group. And it was just, uh, well, and the venue, the amphitheater we were in was spectacular. Auditorium theater, yeah. I just, it was a very moving show. I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode just on the show, but certainly the band. We both said afterwards, we we, we talked about it and determined that it was probably the best show we'd ever been to. It was very moving. I, I felt emotional watching it, in part because we were seeing them for the first time live. And when you see one of your favorite bands live, and you know almost their entire catalog of music. Yeah. It makes it more fun because you can sing along. And But everybody there was like that. So it was this shared energy of everyone singing along. And, and they're a middle-aged group. So it kind of gave some hope to us pursuing this life that we are and seeing other people who, you know, they've been around for a number of years, but they're not just getting started in their career and experiencing this fame because they're young pop stars well yeah they're they're an indie band at heart and still certainly are and don't have the big machine behind them kind of promoting to the masses like like you said like the 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 young starlets kind of have and stars they have just this dedicated following of people behind them and that we're we're part of ourselves and it's they're, they are massive, but again, they're not in the mainstream, really. And it, it's it's really cool to see someone with a niche audience who's doing that well. They can go to any city in the world, basically, and have 20,000 people come out. One of the things we talked about at the airport, actually, on our trip home about the show or about the band is how their lyrics aren't necessarily sensible i'll say like they're not 
maybe sensible isn't the right word, but they're not trying to. They're not literal. They're not literal. Thank you. But I, it, it gave me that perspective as an abstract artist in how sometimes people will say to me, like, I don't really get your art or I don't get abstract as if to say, like, why would people like this? It's not something that I, my brain understands. It's real to me. And their lyrics are kind of abstract, but how you feel listening to them has always been more important. And that's how I try to describe my art. And so experiencing someone else doing something similar and certainly in a different art form kind of gave me this opening or awakening and permission that it doesn't matter if it's literal or understood. If people connect with it, that is why it exists. That's why we do what we do. Connection's the only thing that matters with art, really. Yeah, so I I just... I'll never forget it. That was my favorite part. But we also got to see White Sox game. White Sox game. Fireworks after the game. Yeah, spectacular fireworks yeah. show. We went on an architecture tour because the buildings in Chicago are art pieces in and yeah. of themselves. Back, back to the White Sox game. Uh, <laughs> we got like, I think, $39 tickets, which are pretty cheap ones. There's There's much cheaper that are the very last row for like five bucks. But then there's... Multiple hundred dollar ones, so we were we were in the cheap zone. But for some reason, we got there and we couldn't find how to get to our seat and ask someone. And then from that moment on, it was like we were VIP. It didn't make any sense. Like we were escorted to our seat in a private elevator by the <laughs> by the manager of customer relations. Yeah, and then we had like someone serving us. And the seats were amazing. Like, I don't know if it was just like something faulty on the website and we paid 39 bucks or something was supposed to be 390 or. I don't know. So we've been to two professional baseball games. The first was in Seattle. No, you said that to someone. It was San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. That's right. Yeah. And we somehow got seated in a section called the stitch and pitch section. So there were all of these ladies knitting around us (laughs) which was hilarious but we had a blast and then this time we yeah we were seated in this very special zone with i think season ticket holders because everyone around us knew everybody's name and their stats and were very vocal about all of the plays that went down but we had our own server and didn't have to get up to get anything. Yeah, it was but, great. And then the fireworks. They won the game, too. A guy almost had a perfect game, which was cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. We went to the art gallery, a couple museums. It was, yeah, yeah we ran. So we've been paying for it the last few days. All yeah. of that to say, our aging bodies are feeling the travel woes, but well worth it. But we're back, and we just recorded a fresh new episode with Jen Warrington. Of the Fusion Group. Fusion Group. A business, so she launched her business during the pandemic, during a lockdown, which is even more impressive. And what she's achieved in just a short period of time is incredibly impressive. And what I love about what she's doing, she's created this hybrid. This is just my opinion. This is not her bio. But my take on what she's done is offering these hard skills about recruitment and helping businesses match the correct staffing. So it's kind of this two-way street of what she's offering, but she really taps into the emotional side of people. So she's considering 
like, let's not just look at your resume and the job experience. Let's really think about what you want to do and what makes you happy, what your values are. And that's often the missing link for people in the job hunt. And she's completely filled that gap. Uh, Yeah, I think for it's just an interesting chat in general, but for people looking for any type of career guidance, she'd be, it is an amazing conversation just because she gets right into the nitty gritty of evaluating your skill set. And a lot of people don't know what their skill set is and what their, how their life experiences can carry over into the workforce. And the timing is interesting with her launching it during this lockdown, because I think that was a time when so many people really started to think about these values in their lifestyle. So maybe I'm a good example. Maybe you were someone that was in a, an office job and thought, I don't want to go back to that. I'm out of here. Yeah. So she, I would be maybe one of her, her, tar- her target audience, at least at that stage yeah. in my life. But she not only does, she's a spectacular speaker. She showed up with a lot of charisma. Her communication skills are spot on. I feel like, uh, yes, we talked a lot about what she has to offer in her business, but she's just a wonderful giving person as well. Well, let's jump right into the conversation then. Let's do it. Jen from the Fusion Group. In basketball, yeah, he had done that a little bit, and I love, I love, I love all sports. I'm a, I'm not a sports player. I'm a really good fan, and yeah. so I was hoping he would switch to basketball or or baseball. But it's we're not cheaper. There you don't need to buy all the new gear every year. Yeah, just yeah. the shoes. Do you watch uh, March Madness? I used to. It's funny when I first met my husband John. Um, I was in Toronto, and I was here from vacation, and then I went back to Toronto. And we met around like March, April, and I was supposed to come back. And I was like, well, I booked my vacation, but I booked my vacation to watch March Madness. And he's like, what? (laughs) That's weird. And then, but again, I lived in Toronto and really cool story is I was single at the time and I met a girl who was also single at the time and she worked for Maple Leaf Sports as an account rep. So it'd be like, oh, I have to take my clients purolator to the hockey game or the whatever. Like, do you want to be my plus one? So for two years... I went to every hockey game, every basketball game, sometimes football and baseball, depending on where the client sat. And I didn't have to pay for any of it. That's oh, amazing. So, so it was like I worked on Monday in the day and then it was like, well, OK, what, what's on tonight? And they could literally look at the calendar and go like, we're going to one of these events. And so it really became like two solid years of everything I did outside of work was watch sports. Yeah. And so March Madness was one of those things that I would take time off work to stay home. And I would never do that now. But. I would play hooky to go fly up for a Raptors game for sure. We we adjust our schedules in March so we can watch games. Yeah, like I think it's important. I work when Chase played last year, my son for Cole Harbor. It was the first year in I don't know how long that I did not watch a single Raptors game because we oh, were yeah. just I was he was practiced Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights and then games Saturday, Sunday and they were all over the province and I was like, "Man, I really miss this." Yeah. I could sit in front of the TV and just watch hockey baseball well in that level i have found the college level there's just so much passion and drive like they're it's very at that different level yeah. that they're not quite where they want to go yet they still have something to prove exactly right? not the given but yeah no i loved it we used to do that all the time and just be, and then now it's 
you know, well, on the weekend, I'm like, okay, well, the Blue Jays game is on at this time. So if we're going to Costco, I got to be back. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're listening to him on the radio. He's like, you're so weird. But I'm a lot like my mom that way. My mom was a very big sports fan. Uh, and her best friend's son played with Sidney Crosby all growing up. So oh, my nice. mom got to kind of go to those things as well. So uh, yeah. now it's just kind of one of those things. Is your mom, are your parents still around? Uh, my dad is. My mom passed away about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is splits his time between an apartment uh, on Larry Utech. And uh, he has a cottage on the North Shore in Laurenville, I think it is, going towards Amherst. So he's gone there now for the summer. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's busy. Yeah. Loving loving that life, right? Right on the water. And what was what was your childhood like? I I mean, looking back, I think it was good. Uh, my parents split up when I was 10, 9 or 10. Um and I have a full sibling and I have uh, it's, it's a full sibling to me, but he's my half brother technically. Um and there's 14 years between him and I, but there's only 2 years between my sister and I. It was always really positive. I mean, it's obviously when you go through divorce as a young child, there's lots you don't remember. Um, I think for me, it was more, it created uh, like a really strong attachment to my mom because I ended up living with my mom and seeing my dad through the week and things like that. But I feel like for me, it was always very positive. My mom was a very supportive, very much like, you know, champion of, of all the things that we wanted to do. And so I don't really think I had a bad childhood. I think it was uh, like a lot of learning that you don't really realize until you're older. Uh, inside of that, again, going through a divorce as a young child and young family and then having step-siblings and step-parents and all that stuff. But I mean... That's probably more the norm now today than than it would have been in the 80s when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. I find it's it's an interesting age now, I find, because there's so many things that you hear as a kid that you say are going to happen, that you hear are going to happen, and yeah. they have. So it's like you're finally coming into this space of like, oh, they were right. Yeah. And it's a very cliche thing to say because, right. you know, we even heard our parents say like, one day you're going to get it. Yeah. And now that we do... And yep. now you're a parent, right. so it's really come full circle for you. So yeah. do you feel like that has been the case for you? Yeah, I say to Chase, like Chase and I are very close. I feel like I have the relationship with Chase that I had with my mom, with him and I, and we're very close. So I can say, you know, you're not going to understand now or trust me when I say, mm-hmm. and he'll always be like, yeah, I know you, you're going to say, I told you so. Um, my daughter is almost nine. So while she's very mature for her age and probably thinks that she's 29, like she was mad she couldn't skip school today to come to, to do this with <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that regard. But um, with like with Chase specifically, I think, you know, he's almost 15. The things that they're going through at like, I'm going to say 14 to 18, and I don't know because I'm not there yet, but the things they're dealing with now, we didn't deal with until we were like 18 or 19 and like the stuff that they're challenged with. So I'm always like, buddy, like the choices you make now and you're not going to see it now and hindsight's 2020 and like all of those kind of things. So I think it's really interesting as a parent that I've also found there's a lot of stuff that repeats, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, like I even said this to my husband. I was like, do you find like things that you went through as a child kind of start to surface now in one or both of them that you're like, oh, that feels like a flashback because they're exhibiting either the same behavior or they're going through kind of some of the same things that we went through. And maybe we dealt with them differently because of, you know, generation and parents and what have you. But you're kind of like, it's like I'm looking at myself again because this thing is happening, whether it's like a fear or like the same kind of interest is I find that really interesting. We were driving to drop our car off at the mechanic, yeah. coincidentally close to where you live. Yeah. And all the kids were out waiting for the bus. And we noticed something that we thought was strange because it's different than when we grew up. All the kids were standing 
fairly far apart. And I don't know if this is because of the pandemic or they just don't like each other. <laughs> no one was talking. There's no. all these groups and they're like six to 10 feet away. They all have headphones in and there's no communication happening. None. And I just thought that was super weird because anytime. Different the, than how we grew Yeah, up. maybe not weird, but different. Because in the past, like the only thing you had was conversation yeah. and, and engaging with others around you. And I guess that's probably the norm because it's, Everywhere we drove by, yeah. we saw that. I think it is different. I think it is also weird. I think it's both. I, it's funny. I was with my girlfriend on the weekend. So Chase was playing hockey uh, for a friend of ours. They asked him to play because they needed some extra players. And so we went to Truro for the day. And she was saying, like, if Chase came over and hung out, she said, do you think that they'd even talk to each other? And I'm like, no, they wouldn't. They would probably text each other back and mm-hmm. forth on their phone. But they don't necessarily have that communication or that dialogue. I do see it in the work I do every day, the communication skills at different ages, uh, which is really, really interesting. But I don't think they, I think the COVID 1 million percent uh, impacted that. But I think even before that, just technology, right? And I think there's a... There's a photo or an article that circulated and it's like an article from back in the 50s or 60s saying that technology was going to be the demise of like socialization and communication amongst people. And there was all like an image of that then, which there would be no way to predict that we would have been like glued to our phones and things like that. Right. But it is, it's very different. They don't, you know, I think of the kids that again, I'm interacting with teenagers through the boys and stuff like that. And it's really, it is different and it is weird because they don't. So I think COVID like again, kept them six feet apart standing, but I see it every morning because the bus stops on our street. Mm. And when I turn up um, after dropping the kids off, they're again, like exactly like you said. <laughs> so it's very common for them. Yeah. I don't think they know how. I imagine every generation can look upon the, yeah. the younger kids and have some type of, uh, I'll call it judgment. But. Back in our day, we were yeah. in Japan talking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that Nobody wore seatbelts. You know, like, yeah, all that, all that stuff. stuff. Like, yeah. There's always some example of how th- we were we had things better. But I think that uh, scientifically even, like the social aspect of things, and like you're saying, the communication, you would see this all the time. And it reminds me of an example. Uh, so I used to work in government and right. politics, and my boss had hired a summer student and left a to-do list of, can you get these things done by the end of the day? Came in and nothing had got done. And he's like, okay, what what was the problem? And she said, I couldn't read your handwriting because he had used cursive. cursive. Yeah. To leave this to do list, and to her, it must have, it could have been in another language, and it yeah. would have meant just as much. Yeah, it. Uh, uh, and again, as a parent, so two things to that would be: I've t- as other parents of teenagers around, we're having these conversations all the time. We're like, we have to remember that it's not like it was when we were growing up, and our parents said the same thing, and their parents said the same thing, like because yeah. uh, everything is just evolving and changing. But the other thing is when you sit and look at. And again, my son is in grade nine and the work, I don't the the difficulty of the work they're doing in grade nine, we would have done in grade four. So I'm almost 48. So I went to like elementary school and junior high, like in the 80s. And the work we were doing then, like their work isn't hard now. And it, it it's it, it it's not hard. Like there's no real thought I feel like they don't have to like that critical thinking for me when I see the work that they have to do is missing and I feel like the work he's doing in grade nine my daughter could be doing and she's in grade three why is that do you think oh sugar that's (laughs) (laughs) um we have uh, all day yeah (laughs) I think again so and this will likely come out through other parts of the conversation in the fact that I've never really followed a traditional path school being one of those paths I did not follow traditionally and I think that as 
things have evolved and technology has become what it has. And even the dynamic of two parent households that are both working where before, like my mom was home when I was a kid till Mm -hmm. I was, until my parents divorced. And so my mom was home. So there was always that presence there. Whereas now I'm home and work from home. So my kids, again, don't have both of their parents going in different directions. But I think all of those things factor in that school, while it has a place and it has relevance, it's not current day. Like, I mean, we know the system is broken. We're seeing it when we're driving and they're, yeah, you know, striking today. And, yeah. and, you know, and then we're seeing there, there's no accountability really either. Um, my son can have a project and he can turn it in late and still get 100 or he cannot do it and still get half of a mark. Like, so for me, and again, I'm not the, you know, I do think school has a place and there's relevance to it, but I'm not the one that's like, it has to be all A's and you've got to pick your university when you're five. And like, I, that's not who I am. But I think it really just comes down to it hasn't caught up with current day. So therefore it's, it's a place for kids to go while their parents are working. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it again in my my own, mainly my son at this point because of his age. I haven't got to the junior high piece with her. But I think for me, it's, you know, even through the pandemic, like there was no, and again, nobody could have ever prepared for or dealt with that. Like yeah. I totally get that. But there was really no accountability. Like you logged in or you didn't. You did the work or you didn't. And then junior high, which is supposed to set the foundation for what high school is going to be, my son went into grade seven and like the world shut down. So he didn't really have the opportunity to like learn those other pieces inside of that. But again, they're doing stuff in school that he said to me like, well, when do you use this? Or like, when was the last time you used this form of math? And I'm like, when I was in grade nine and now Mm -hmm. I'm helping you. And so I've got like 30 years to try to remember (laughs) how to angles or variables or whatever. So I just don't think that the system has evolved to where we need it to be for what they need to be capable of. And then they're penalized because they are doing work that's not really relevant to them and what they're going to do. And they have so many more options now. Like career options today are not what the seven things were when we were growing up. There were seven. There were seven. There was teacher, nurse, Doctor, lawyer, dentist, firefighter, police officer. There that's you go. Se- that's then the, seven. The tra- then the trades, like the plumber, trades, carpenter. Right? And those Which were really even those, yeah, yeah. Like they, they were, were available if you were a, quote, good student. Then, yeah. the, then that you was didn't not that. on your menu. It wouldn't yeah. have been on the list for, if you were a woman, yeah. right? Like you didn't do that. It was more of like if you didn't do well in school. But I will tell you even today, because the demography was so focused on university, 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 to find someone now that has a trade with, say, five years experience that they can go in and be paid a ridiculous amount of money because it's such a sought after skill set. Those people aren't there. Mm-hmm. So if I have someone that comes to me on the recruitment side of my business and says, listen, we're looking for three Red Seal electricians, I'm not fi- able to find them because no one said you should go to school and take a trade or, you know, if that's what you like to do. It was always no, no, no. That's, you know, again, if you were the good student and really smart, you weren't doing trades. and there's such a gap right now inside of that so that I have conversations with parents of my kid doesn't know what they want to do. And, you know, do you help with that? And technically, no, because I focus on more the mid-level professional. But if your kid isn't sure, and there's a few that are like, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. I want That's great. And now engineering is in, in parts of that. But if they don't know, to me, the really best thing they can do is go and get a trade because it's something for them to fall back on, number one. Uh, but number two, it's not going to take a ton of money, but it also gives them real life work experience to go, I actually don't want to do this. So maybe I do have to go back to school and do an upgrade or what have you. 
um, because it's just, again, there are so many options now. But in the world that I'm in day to day, when I have clients like businesses that are looking for trades positions, it is such a struggle to find them because they just there's just not enough of them anymore. And the majority of them that were here are gone. They've gone out west because they can now we are starting to pay better rates for like, you know, those trades positions. But if you're out west, so my brother's an electrician out west and he's Red Seal. I still can't even bring him back here at a ridiculous hourly rate, you know, unionized and benefits and everything here because of what he's making in Alberta. Wow. So it's hard, right? We have a very, very special sponsor of this episode that we both love dearly with all our hearts. The Rustic Rustic Crust Pizza! Pizza. Yum, yum, yum. In Upper Tantalan, Nova Scotia. These folks started off in a food truck and they now have a fully functioning restaurant. They've got a beer garden for the summertime. They get rented out for private events. They have everything there. Yeah, I can honestly say it's my favorite pizza in the world. Like, really? 10 out of 10, so delicious. It's my favorite spot to eat. And I play a lot of gigs there. They treat me like a god when I go there. They're so nice. It's hard to believe that a local pizza spot is such good supporters of the arts. They're also very supportive of community events. They have taken in a Ukrainian family. They're always giving to fundraising events. They're just amazing people across the board. And you have your art showcase there too. I've got art up there right now. And I have to say, I love their pizza as well. Well, of course, but their Caesar salad is exceptional. Next level. The pizza is wood-fired, which makes it absolutely delicious. And the tomatoes and flour are both from Italy. They've got an awesome collection of local craft beer and wine, so you're sure to have a great drink to pair with your pizza. All of our guests that come to stay with us, we bring them there for a meal. You can find this sweet little restaurant at 10 Sunny's Road in Upper Tan Talon. They're open Tuesday to Sunday year-round, and their website is therusticcrustpizzeria.com. Yeah, you should definitely check it out if you're in the area. You can go to the beer garden, you can go inside. It's a cool house converted into a restaurant. Great people doing great things that we truly are huge fans of, so check them out now. Rustic Crust! Rustic Crust! I think now's a good time. Give us... A little elevator pitch about what what you do. Yeah. What's your okay. company, you, your 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 crew you're working with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I uh, started a company in the middle of a pandemic, which is a totally different story. But <laughs> um, I started a company called The Fusion Group uh, in 2020. And there's two sides to the business. One is recruitment. So we help small to medium-sized businesses find talent and help them with their strategy around, like, where do we find people? How do we pay them? How should we move them through the interview process and those pieces? So we're working with, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 clients at a time that are hiring. Since COVID, hiring has been a huge focus for companies because they had to lay everyone off and then bring everyone back. Uh, So we have really focused on the small to medium-sized business in terms of recruitment. But then the flip side of it is uh, career strategy and career planning and helping people figure out what they do with the skills and experience they have uh, and what they can do with that and how do they maximize their earning potential as well as I saw a lot through COVID of I lost my job and I hated it and I don't want to go back to that. Do I do I have to go back to school to get the skills I need or do I have enough that I can figure something else out? So helping people gain clarity in that to really be able to say, you know what, if nothing else, everyone was impacted in some way and everyone experienced COVID. So the playing field was leveled, right? 
And so then a lot of people took stock and they're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in an office. I don't want to hate the work that I do. How do I then in turn find something that I love? But again, that's not something you're taught in school. So it was, you know, where, how do I do that? And how do I figure that out? So because I had been recruiting since 2007, people would, even though I was hiring for a specific company that I worked for at the time, people were coming and saying, can you look at my resume? I have an interview. Like what, when they ask this question, what do I say? So there was always a coaching element to either the candidates I was working with or friends or neighbors or the mom at the hockey rink or whatever asking that. So that has been a huge focus of our business um, over the last two years because, again, COVID changed all of that. Lots of people have made really changes that don't make sense, right? Like when you say, okay, you were government for X number of years and now you're doing art. Like on paper, that doesn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. that's a really risky change to make. But the reality is it's probably not as risky once you're in it and you can actually see that because you're doing what you love and that kind of stimulates the momentum from there. So we've done a lot of um, big pivots, I guess you would say, in terms of that. So we focus, again, on finding companies, the talent they need, and then helping people find the right path for them because it was not something that was ever laid out before. This is brilliant. Like, (laughs) I would have loved to have met you 10 years ago. Because I, I have agonized over, I, I even now feeling as, as happy as I am having made this big change, still agonize over what, who am I or right. what should I be doing? And to have somebody with that expertise just feels like I, I can't believe, and you know, maybe there are other people doing this, but it, it's such a, a need. And is that what led you to start this is seeing other people like me that agonizing over what do I do with this skill set? Um, I think a little bit for the career strategy side, yes. I mean, and again, so not many people, you know, start a business in the middle of a pandemic. I was, I had worked for um, a corporate company for almost 10 years and then was part of a global restructure, found out in February that my position was ending March of 2020. So in February, when I found out, um, I COVID was just kind of start to percolate, but we weren't shut down. Like it was just like careful if you travel was kind of like where I was when I found out. And so for me, I knew I wanted to be on my own and I knew that I was never going to take the lead. I, I had to be pushed off the side of the mountain to do it. So they, it was like your, your position is no longer. So that was the push. So I knew I wanted to go on my own, but I really wanted to focus on recruitment because I like I fell into recruitment very weirdly. It was a weird story of how that came to be. And like I really thrived and I loved it. The career strategy piece really started to come from in the middle of the pandemic, people reaching out going like, do you have a job? Could I do this job? I'm not really sure, but I know that I don't want what I'm doing anymore. And so the conversations were happening very organically around, well, hey, are you on LinkedIn? Or hey, have you thought about this as a career? Because when I look at your resume, I see these skills as being valuable in these industries. And just through that was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. There is so many people now freaking out because they think the world is ending. And if it isn't, they want to do something that they actually enjoy, be home with their kids more. I have one guy that he's like, I just want to be able to work from anywhere and travel the world while I do it. Help me figure that out. Mm. Right. Because it was so in everybody's face so long, you had nothing but time to think. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you weren't doing the daily grind. It was very, very different. So I think originally when I thought, okay, I'm going on my own and I kind of that was my plan, it was going to be very recruitment focused. I didn't think that the career strategy would take on the life that it did. And I'm thrilled that it has because some of the the people that I've met and some of, you know, their wins have been absolutely incredible um, that I can't imagine not having that as a focus right now. 
but it wasn't part of the original plan, but it definitely, you know, it kicked in very, very quickly once everyone was said, okay, you're all at home and staring at everybody in your family, which you love your family, but that's a lot of time together <laughs> under the same roof and you're not allowed to leave your driveway, right? It's a real making lemonade from lemon story. Yeah, I think, but I think too, I look back on it now and I look at it from a perspective of, again, I never followed a traditional path. I didn't like school. I don't have a university degree. And while on paper, I should, based on how do you start a business and all of these things, I think because there were so many twists and turns, I never really saw it as a bad thing because I just kind of kept moving with it. And so when, now I will say, when I found out I lost my job, I was devastated because I didn't see it coming. It was a complete blind side. Like I knew we were going through a restructure. I knew we had gone through client acquisitions before and there were always risks of that. But recruitment, like we were busy. We were always hiring. Like I worked for a company that had 30,000 employees globally. Doing recruitment? Doing recruitment, okay. yeah. And so recruitment was like, again, we're always hiring. You're not going to be in a position where they're not going to need you. Um, and then they came and said they didn't need me. <laughs> hmm. So I was like, wait, what just happened? And I called my husband. I'm like, I think I lost my job. And he's like, what, what do you mean you think you lost your job? I'm like, well, I just, yeah, I did. But it just, I wasn't expecting it. So one of the things I think that I learned from, you know, not taking a traditional path is you figure it out, right? You just kind of like, you, you take the lemons and you make lemonade. I had no anticipation or vision that it would be what it is now in terms of me having a team and like we're growing and like all of those things, which is amazing. I really just wanted to replace the income I was making and be able to, you know, work on my own and not have to answer to anyone, quote unquote. I didn't envision that it would be what it is right now. So do people like that gentleman you mentioned come to you and say, like, I I just want to be wherever I want and travel the world and you kind of try to match them with a job that makes sense with their skill set? Sometimes. So, yes, people do come and they'll say, you know, I'm stuck. I'm feeling frustrated. I've been in this job for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And I, I will share a story because it's a really awesome one. But they come and they say, you know, I, I want to do something different. Something's been tugging at me or I had time to think or I was impacted through a layoff. And now I don't know what I want to do and I want it to be the right thing. And and then you start to have those conversations. Sometimes we're matching them with other clients that have a hiring need. Sometimes we're helping them start something on their own. Yeah. And not everybody wants to be on their own and be an entrepreneur or a consultant or what have you. And that's great. But for those that have the itch, now is definitely the time. And so the story that I want to share is I had a gentleman by the name of Mike. And he, I don't know, remember how he found me. I will say it's probably LinkedIn or Facebook because I'm very active on both platforms. But he reached out and said, I'm looking at making a change. It's a big life change. And I'm hoping that you can help. So Mike was a pastor in uh, the church. And he had been a pastor for 20 years. He had a, a master's in theology and divinity. His father was the pastor before him. So we, as we got to know each other, we the joke that we started to make was like, I was like, like Mike, you were not born into this. Like you were conceived with the idea that you were going to yeah. live your life in the church. And he was really unhappy and it was time for him to make a change. So then he had, I want to make a change. What skills do I have? How do I have those conversations with family? Right? Because again, it, that was a, a hard thing for his family to adjust to because they were also involved in the church for so long. And so... We worked together to, again, identify the skills he had. What did he need? Did he need to go back to school? And so the disclaimer is most times you don't. 
Um, again, if you're an accountant and you want to be a doctor, yes, you've got to go back mm. to school. But depending on what you want to do, and if we gain the clarity on what that is, then we've got the opportunity to say, okay, here's how we have to put together a resume, a LinkedIn. These are you know companies you need to target and so on and so forth. So um, a pastor's salary is below poverty level. Like it's really, really low. And uh, so he was thinking like, okay, I'm going to have to go back to school to do something. And as we uncovered what a pastor actually does and the depth of the experience that he gained in those 20 years, he ended up, um, he accepted a position actually as an operations manager in the beauty industry. So again, complete extremes, mm. didn't have to go back to school for it. Mm -hmm. And we ended up negotiating a salary for him that was $60,000 more than what he was making as a pastor. Mm. So to gain the clarity of what do I do? What am I good at? What do I like? What do I not like? And that's as important as what you do. Because if you don't like it, why are we going to try to put you somewhere for that? Like that doesn't make sense. And then when you can highlight the skills you have that you're really strong at, that then allows you to present those confidently in an interview and on a resume and on your LinkedIn. And then you can negotiate a higher salary, which is exactly what he did. So now he's making like over $90,000 a year. And Family is coming around now, like in terms of his parents and stuff. Again, that's a big change for a family to yeah. kind of accept, right? But he's, you know, he's like my favorite story to this point in terms of those individuals. So when they come and they don't know what to do, and then we have the opportunity to work together and give that clarity. Now he's doing work that he feels is really important and meaningful as well, but is not something that would have ever been on his radar two years ago. So assessing someone's skill set seems like it's a really important factor. Access, yeah, assessing their skill set is very important. Like, I need to know, like, what have you done and what are you good at, what do you like? But for me, it's really about, like, who is the person and, like, what are their interests, right? Yeah. And so another example I've used with people is, you know, when we were growing up or our parents before us, it was, you know, for sure when it was our parents before us, they would look in the newspaper and see the ads and they'd go drop off their resume. And if they were an accountant they would take their resume to every company that was hiring for an accountant, type it up, put it in an envelope, drop it off, mail it, whatever. And you just waited to get the call that you were chosen to interview and be the accountant there. Today, if you're an accountant and you see that, you know, the Nova Scotia Liquor Commission is hiring for an, a controller, an accountant, but you're really involved with Mad Canada, that's not the fit, right? So we've got to talk about like what aligns to yeah. you and your values and your interests. Because for me, you know, we were asked um, a number of, at the very beginning, we were asked to recruit for a company that was coming uh, into Halifax and was very, very big in the cannabis space. And while that works for other people, and that's great, that was really not aligned to who I was. And then, you know, obviously raising children and having a teenager, like I just, I couldn't get behind that for me and not that another recruiter couldn't. But you have to really start to find like awareness in yourself of what are your interests and your values, because then again, the work you do is going to not only be fulfilling, but it's going to benefit the company that's trying to retain you because it's aligned. And so I start with the skills and the experience and say, like, talk to me about, you know, what do you love about your job? What do you not love? Like, if you could change something, what would it be? But then we get into, like, who are you? We have assessment tools that we use, and there's a whole bunch of pre-work that goes into that. So I can start to pull and ask those questions um, and then start to give recommendations. And the, you go through a lot of no's, right, to be like, no, I'm not interested in that. But that's really good because then we're really narrowing down what is for you. And then most oftentimes I can give a plan and say, okay, these are industries we should target. These are companies we should target. And then how do we go about that? But it's the the skills and the experience almost become secondary, at least when we're having those conversations and I'm coaching through 
what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Right? And really, until we're like in our, I mean, again, I'm almost 48, but until we're like in our 30s, I don't really think we know. Yeah, you have to get to know yourself. And I find what can be challenging, a lot of people have the desire to get to know themselves and figure it out, but they don't always have the right tools and questions to ask. Yeah. Like it can be overwhelming to sit down and just think about what do I like? Like, that's a huge question. Right. So something more streamlined, especially when you're looking for a career fit. Yeah. I remember when I first started university, having gone a bit more of the traditional route, I, I did go back later in life, but I knew I loved traveling. So I opted to study international development studies because I knew that that was going to touch upon a global landscape. Right. But in hindsight, that has nothing to do with traveling. Like no. I could have become a nurse and probably traveled more. Yeah. So it was less about, yeah, the healthcare using that example and more about the desire to see new places and new cultures and help people and mm -hmm. be exposed to that. But without that kind of understanding or knowing what your options are, you're really sort of pigeonholed into these seven job right. paths that we talked about earlier. And I don't think that I don't think that we're given options. Right. Like, again, you've got the seven like and we use the seven as when and again, I'm assuming that we're all close in age, but we were given the seven. Right. But does anyone really ever say, like, what do you want to do? Right. What are you interested in? What does that like look like for you? Like, not it's in either, academia. Right. It's either you pick a degree and that's what you're doing or you hope that sports like we were talking about earlier is going to carry you to a scholarship <laughs> or whatever. But like, what if you're a really good athlete, but you don't really like love the game the way that you're supposed to love the game? Like, well, why can't you then go into sport management or sport therapy or a yeah. sport agent? Like, who's having the conversations with? I, I know at my age, we were not. And so having like I try really now with my son, because again, 15. So technically, you're supposed to know what you're going to do and you're supposed to know what university you're going to go to and all these things. But I'm like, like, what do you like? What are you interested in? And the stuff he's not interested in is as important to me to figure out and even with a client as what they do like, because I don't want to make a recommendation to you to do potentially something based on skills and like a little bit of your interests, because it's still not really helping you get to be the you that you want to be. And I think for me, I didn't. Well, I knew when I was a kid, I was either going to be a lawyer um, which I obviously have to go to university for, and I didn't. Or I was going to be a backup dancer for Janet Jackson. So again, like none of those <laughs> same, things. same. Yeah, totally the same. <laughs> I can see, like you can see where the lines blur, right? But like no one ever really sat down and said, okay, if you wanted to do X, this is what you need to do. It was just kind of like you were supposed to figure it out. So no one really asked those questions. So I really try now with the people that I'm working with, and they're usually like. 35 and above who they've worked they've you know if you're 35 years old and you've worked part-time at 15 you've already been working for 20 years yeah. so if you're going to work another 30 if you're lucky to be like you know 65 before you retire shouldn't you do what you like because the money then comes there like it ties to the money it really does and this is another important point of so i turned 40 at, uh last year and that was the turning point for me in my career, having spent 10 years in government and now being an artist entrepreneur. So like right. you said, on paper, this doesn't make sense. I think there was certainly for me and a lot of people I've talked to who have gone through a big life change, this resistance because your identity is so wrapped up in this one thing and this skill set that you've had for X number of years in your life. And yeah, I too started working at 15 part time. Right. So you think to yourself, how at this age in my life 20 some years later do i even allow myself to consider doing something so radical or so right. it seemed mm -hmm. yet like you're saying 
at what point do you give yourself permission to finally do what you actually want to do? Because right. you still have that same amount of years left to go, hopefully. Yeah, if not more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you find... So now I'm totally turning the tables, but like, do you find in hindsight app, like making the changes like, holy shit, this is scary. But like, once you're like on the other side of a little bit, do you feel like, okay, this wasn't as big of a radical change as I thought, or I wish I had done it sooner? Yes and no. I, I don't regret having spent my time in that life right? for for a number of reasons. I mean, for something, uh, a small example would be just my understanding of the function of government. I appreciate right. as right. as just a citizen who votes and has right. services granted to them and pays taxes and so on. Um, and I think I I have more confidence and maturity and capability now to be an entrepreneur that Right. For me, I may not have had in my 20s. Right. Now, I see other teenagers that have that gusto and confidence about them that they're quite capable. Right. That wasn't who I was at that age. So right. I wouldn't say, uh, yeah, I don't I certainly don't have any re regrets. Um, I wish I had given myself permission earlier to just be myself right. and not worry about what I was giving up. It was very difficult to walk away from the stability of that, the status right. of that, uh, and starting over from absolute zero is how it feels. And I imagine you went through that, too. Like, you're starting a new business. You had been in Toronto and came back. Like, you're networking again. You're yep. you're just creating a new identity. That part is hard, but it's also very exciting. I found it really exciting. I definitely did. I remember having a conversation the, the When I went and fell into recruitment, I had actually, when I moved home from Toronto, which would have been 2006, um, I went to a recruitment agency because I needed a job. I was sleeping on my mom's couch. I had met a guy who is now my husband. And so we were in like early dating stages. And I'm like, I'm 30 and I'm sleeping on my mom's couch. Like, what's going on? Right. Like, yeah. you've got to like make some changes. So I went to a recruiting agency and I went in and I met this girl um, who was the recruiter and she went through my resume with me and we had a really great conversation and she said, the position that you've applied for, you're we are more than qualified for and you could do the job. I'm not going to put you forward. And I was like, what? And she's like, like, you'll be bored in three months. I'm like, yeah, but I need a job. I'm sleeping on my mom's couch. Right. Like, and I, you know, like I'm, I'm back home. I'm ready to work. And she's like, I just I need you to trust me on this. And I'm thinking like, what? I, you just said I could do this in my and she said, but you'll be bored. You can do it in your sleep, but you'll be bored. Leave it with me. And I was like, all right, fine. And I was actually really put off by that because I was like, how do you get to make that decision? Especially if you're like, basically, they'd hire you on the spot. And about Two weeks later, um, her manager called and said, I'm the branch manager of the staffing firm. I know you met with Karen. I'd like for you to come in and have a chat. So I was like, all right. And again, still a little bit put off because I could have done the job, right? And uh, when I got in, he said, you know, she spoke very highly of you. We talked about like your background. She shared some things. And uh, I said, like, I'll be completely honest. Like, I was really put off that she didn't put me forward for this job. And he said, well, what we were thinking as we've had some conversations, is we'd like to bring you on here and have you do sales and business development for the staffing firm. And then when you work in the traditional agency world, it's basically you're out networking and developing and saying, oh, your company is X, well, we can help you hire, bring it back. And then, you know, so um, I ended up getting an offer from them. And I would go out and speak to businesses and pitch the services of the firm. And I would bring it back to this Karen girl who was the recruiter and she would find the talent. And at one point, and I don't remember if it was that she went off work or she was on vacation or what that looked like, but I was like bringing clients in, but then there wasn't someone there to help from the recruitment perspective. So I was like, okay, well, show me how to do this. I'll find it and fill it. 
And that's literally how I fell into recruitment in 2007 at this point um, from that perspective. So for me, it was I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just jumped in off the high dive and was trying to figure it out. But as it continued to evolve, Scott, um, who was the manager of the branch at that time, he was really much again about like, this is where your your strengths are. And like, let's play to that. So for me, it was really, really, you know, I got to be myself in like kind of like where I'd never really felt like I fit in the traditional box of, you know, university and what have you. When I lost my job um, in 2020, fast forward, he was one of the first people that reached out and said, when does your severance end? And do you want to run a branch for me? And my husband was very much like, okay, like you're good. We've got something stable. Like, you know, it'll be a very healthy salary. You you know, like you literally lost your job and had a job like within a week. And I was like, I don't want to do that though. And he was like, (laughs) right? Like we've got a mortgage. We have two kids. We have a son that plays competitive sports, like all the things. And I was like, if I don't try it now, I'm never going to. Because again, I was very content where I was. I always said I was very happy. In hindsight, I was very content I loved what I did. I had flexibility. I had a decent salary. And I had a really decent salary for someone who doesn't have a university degree. Mm -hmm. And that was never lost on me because I was interviewing people that had university degrees, some of them even MBAs. And I was hiring them for positions that were half the salary that I was making. So I was very aware of that going through the the recruitment stages that I did, depending on the positions. And so my husband was like, oh, I just don't know. And I was like, again, like, I if I don't, I'm going to regret it. But also... I'm going to resent you because of the fact that I know like this is my window of opportunity. And so we had some conversations around it. And it was really interesting that, you know, when when you start thinking, can I do this? Because it is, it's frightening. I mean, I knew that I was losing a job, but I mean, that was all I had really ever known from a career perspective. I had a great job when I lived in Toronto. I worked for a financial advisor, but this was really like the the thing I had done the longest and Mm -hmm. I had been really consistent with it. And I really, really loved it. And so to take the, I'm going to do it for myself and again, hope that, you know, I can build this. Because again, like you said, you got to start networking again. I had always been presenting recruitment as I'm the recruiter for this company, right? And then it was like, I'm recruiting for whoever wants me to help them. And I was really lucky that the relationships I had built over the course of, I'd say my recruitment career, but probably in general, was people that I had recruited for at either different companies um, or like through the agency many, many years ago, I was still connected with them on LinkedIn. So they were like, I'm so glad you're on your own. Can I bring you into the company to help us recruit? And literally within a year, I had hired uh, Lindsay, who works on my team. And then fast forward six months after that, another lady named Donna. And now we're in the process of hiring again. But when you have conversations of, I'm taking the leap. I've got to start again. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I didn't have a business before. Like, how do you figure that stuff out? You really get to a point of you just have to figure it out. And that's where I think when people play to their strengths, if it's a different industry or different role or just something entirely different, even on your own, and not everyone's meant to work for themselves. But if you that's a path you want to follow when you're liking what you do and you have those strengths, you can highlight it. It's totally possible. Totally. What? What made you make that choice where you and Kristen, you can speak to this, too, because you came to this this crossroads in your life where you can go one way or the other. And you decided to yourself, Kristen, go into the arts world and make that a full time career. What was it something in your gut? What was it that forced you towards like kind of more the job. unknown? And like this, like you said, the other one would be more stable. 
Like everything was kind of lined out for you. Was there something specific um, that pulled you in the direction you're you're now in? I think I think in that moment <laughs> and then those that are know, know me when they listen to this and especially my husband will be like, totally, she did it out of stubbornness. But there <laughs> there was a part of like, no, you can't tell me that I can't do that and I am gonna figure it out. Um, I, because I even said to, he's like, well, what's the plan B? Like, if you go and you go on your own and this doesn't work, what's the plan B? And I'm like, there isn't one. Like, this is, I'm all in kind of thing. Um, so I would say it was probably stubbornness and just a big screw you to everyone that was like, yeah, this isn't safe. This is risky. And there were like, you know, family and friends, which I say to clients that I work with, they love you and they support you, but they're the worst people to get advice from when it comes to making a change. Because one, the emotional attachment of wanting to you know, be protective and be supportive, at the same time, they're potentially impacted if you make a decision and it doesn't work. So you need someone objective. So I always say that. But So for me, stubbornness for sure. I think when I look back on it now being like, we're almost three full years uh, into this. And again, I in my big vision was I just want to work for myself and replace the salary I had. So that now in hindsight is the small vision to where we are now and like what we're going to continue to do. So I think for me, it it had to have been a gut thing, right? It really, truly had to have been like, you you can do this. And something was just saying like, now is the time um, because I don't know anything else that it could have been. I didn't have a plan. Like I didn't, I again, never would have said I'm going to have a team and we're going to have a flex office space that we're going to start to use and, and, and it was, I just wanted to pay my bills. And you had this very strong belief in yourself. That's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. And I, but I don't think I even realized it at that point. Yeah. Like I think in that it was, they've given me a six month severance. I'm in the middle of now a pandemic by the, like the time that my last day it rolled around. So I didn't have to worry about finances for six months, and I didn't have to worry about childcare, which everyone else in the world either had one or both of those things as a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I was very aware of how fortunate I was that I didn't have to worry about that. Um, so I I do think you're right. Like there was that belief, but I sometimes think that belief is so deep rooted that you don't even realize that you have it. Because even now I'll say to one of my best friends, Carrie Ann, like when we do school pickup or we're just hanging out. We used to go to the bike and bean um, and we would always talk about things we wanted to do or something like I want to be on my own. And she has like her own visions and plans. And then she'll say to me now, she's like, do you remember when we were at the bike and bean and you wanted to? And I'm like, yeah, but I at even at that point, I didn't realize it had I had the ability for it to be as rewarding and fulfilling. Like forget like it's big and it's making money and it's all of those things, which are obviously important. Um but it's like, I never feel like I'm working. Like there has been not one day since March 31st, 2020 that I do, that I feel like I'm working like ever at all. And it's stressful. Like I'm responsible for other people's salaries and I'm responsible for client deliverables and all of these things. And I don't feel like I'm working. The clarity that you're giving to people though is such a gift. Like I, I, I and I'm saying this because I've been through it and just seeking your purpose or where do I fit in this working world? Because it's such a huge part of our life. And you being able to coach people through that is just a huge offering. And I think old me or or starting out me would have, and again, I think I kind of just did it when you said it. I kind of like, oh, am I really doing that? But I think I do take it very seriously in the sense of if I can have one person even like what they're doing to the level of like where I like I'm I'm wildly I could again I could sit here till seven o'clock tonight and talk and tell stories and like insights and things like that but when I have like I take it very seriously because I think life is too short 
I think that we live in a world where opportunities are plentiful, but to sift through all of those things to figure out what's for Mike, what's for Jen, like what's for you, like what does that look like? If who's going to help you do that? Yeah. Again, family and friends are going to be protective more than they're going to be, you know, I mean, again, don't do that or don't set such a lofty goal or, you know, like, eh, no, like life's short. If I came to you as a yeah. client, what would be what would that process look like? What would the length of time look like? Would you give me a questionnaire? Let's talk a little bit yeah. about the specifics. So typically what we do is um, if someone reaches out and says that they have an interest in working one on one. So what we will first do and when I say we because Lindsay and Don are on the team and they're extremely instrumental uh, to what I do now and, and give me the capability to do is we invite them to a complimentary career strategy call on Thursdays. So every Thursday morning, 9 o'clock, I'm on Zoom. People come. They stay for the full hour. They stay for 10 minutes. They're on camera. They're, they don't have their camera on. They just listen. And it's really like open forum, open agenda. I don't have something where I'm like, we're going to talk about these 10 things. I'm like, what do you have? Do you have a question? Do you have a concern? Just so people can... One, feel that they have a safe space, see that they're not alone, right? And then some there, some people ask questions, some don't, some come every week, you know, what have you. So we kind of start there just to give people an insight into who I am um, and why it's important to, again, you have to really resonate with the person that is going to help you make these changes. Um, I'm not for everybody. I don't have a filter a lot of the time. So I'm, hmm. um, I'm good here, but like I'm a typically a lot of F-bombs um, <laughs> or, you know, kind of opinionated on certain things that I'm really passionate about. And that's not for everybody. So I have people come and at least sit through one of those calls and just kind of see how they feel about me first and foremost. And then if they want to engage, we've got a number of options where um, we offer a weekly uh, time slot where you can do a power session. So we'd spend an hour together and you, I mean, it comes like the fire hose. Like I ask a lot of questions. I kind of go like, what do you want to accomplish? Do you want to work on your resume? Is it LinkedIn? Are you stuck? Mm -hmm. A lot of people want help with their resume um, or their LinkedIn, because again, we weren't taught how to write an effective resume in, at any level of school. Like I taught, um, not taught, I facilitated a session at St. Mary's back in um, February or March around, um, you know, different people like, and the stuff that they were taught there. This is not like that's not what we as recruiters are looking for. Right. So when people come, um, I ask them, like, what do you what's your hope for the outcome of this session? Right. And then depending on what it is, a lot of people come, like I said, for a resume and uh, LinkedIn. But a lot of people are coming for like, I don't know how to talk about myself in an interview. I don't know what I want to do. And how do I figure that out? So when we get to that, I don't know. And I want to figure it out. We have pre-work. So we have um, assessment tools that we give. Um, so there's two assessment tools that we give to people to get, again, for me to gain, gain clarity on who they are. So I know what questions to ask and as well for them to start to gain some clarity on themselves. And then there's two exercises. I always call them homework that are around like outlining what your career progression has been to date, like the jobs you've had, the roles you've held committees you might've been on. If you've done, like if you were on a secondment, what have you mm -hmm. and have them really flush that out. And then the other one, which is for me, like the meat and potatoes is around like your interests and your values. And some people don't even realize that they have their own personal values, right? And so we uncover those pieces. And then from there, I take all of that documentation and then I start to ask the questions. And some people get really frustrated with themselves. They're like, no, no, no. But I'm always like the no's get us closer to a yes. And so don't feel like you can't say a no. And then really, so we've done power sessions where you can get a lot done in 90 minutes. Um, but then, like, I have a gentleman right now that I'm working with, and um, 
He co-founded a business here in Halifax. It's been extremely successful. He's with three others. Again, on paper to where they started to where they are makes no sense whatsoever. Um, But he's struggling as like a, a part owner of a company that is growing very rapidly and not really feeling like it's aligning to him anymore. So we're working through the questions of how do we figure out what starts to align? And then when we find it, can we work it into your business? Or do you maybe need to make that really difficult change in conversation, but then be able to support through what those conversations look like? So we work um, we work primarily, like I said, with mid-level professionals. I'm not really the person to help someone who like doesn't know what to take as for a university degree. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really the person who can help, you know, someone coming out of school other than to say, if you're not sure, your best thing to do is either take a gap year and work, which parents will hate me for saying that, but it's true, or go to community college and at least get a trade or some because you get work experience in terms of that. And then I just work through with people and ask them those questions to give them that clarity. And then if not, I think the clarity is important, but I feel like I give people confidence, right? Like to help you take the leap or, you know, I don't know if you had worked previously, you know, in a traditional nine to five, but to be able to say, if you want to pursue music as a passion, how do like, what's the plan and how do we get you there so that you can do that and make a living off of it? Right. And because again, it's nothing that we're ever really taught. And I fumbled my way through a lot of it. So I'm just, this is out of curiosity. Let's use Mike as an example here. Let's go. Hot seat. Mike has been a lifelong professional musician in that he's he's playing music he's writing music yeah if he were to come to you would you have and, and maybe we'll do a little mock session here sure if you guys are good for it but i guess my question and where i would like for it to lead out of personal curiosity is if you discover he should be say a music producer or a chocolatier right would you have a database of people that are looking to hire that type of person or is it more for his personal clarity that is the outcome and benefit. It's it's both. It's both. I mean, yeah. I mean, I want people to walk away with clarity and confidence. And I always say, if it's not an F yes, it's an F no. And yeah. so I want you to feel F yes when you're walking away from time spent with me. Because one, it is an investment, you know, from a monetary perspective. But at the end of the day, it's also an investment into you, which we're never really taught to do, or it's never really like follow what you want, right? So, I mean... You might have a parent or another family member that's like, oh, no, you can't write music and you'll never be successful and you've got to pick the stable, whatever. And in today's world, that doesn't exist, right, from from that perspective. But I would want to be able to say, give you the clarity and the confidence and that you feel really like that there was value in what you took from our time together. But then the other part would be, you know, if we, if it was that you were going to be a chocolatier and I don't have anyone in my database, well, we're going to make the plan to figure out who you got to talk to and where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And if I went on LinkedIn and looked at, and I'll use Peace by Chocolate as an example, just because I know that they're local and what that story is. If I went to the, the, you know, they came up in a search on LinkedIn and I realized that, you know, Lindsay that works for me has a connection to someone there. I'd be like, okay, how do we open the door for Mike? What Which do we oddly to she do? totally does. But. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there you go. So that worked really well. So for me, it's like, if I can make an introduction right off the top, I'm 100% going to do it. And mm-hmm. and the the disclaimer to that is it, on the recruitment side of things, companies don't typically say, oh, I've got a contact at the government, at Peace by Chocolate, at wherever. Let me introduce you and like, you guys know you guys find your way together. Because most recruitment firms are like, but that's a fee, right? Like they see it as a transaction of if I place you at this company, I'm going to get X fee. And while we do that with our existing clients, for the most part, again, I came into this and also decided 
blindly, but now I can say confidently, like I came in, I was like, I'm disrupting. Like, I don't want this to be transactional. I'm very relationship driven. So if I could make an introduction to for you to be the chocolatier at Peace by Chocolate and we aren't going to get a fee off of that, I'm still making the introduction because I believe it will pay it forward somewhere else, somewhere along the way. Using Pastor Mike as the example, he got the job. He's working for a company. He's doing well. Again, he's making the money. Like all those things are great. He introduced us to a sister company um, as part of the umbrella portfolio of companies he's with now. And we've recruited for them for the last year. So the fact that I didn't get a fee for helping, you know, place him at a client, but it had came, came back a different way. And we probably made, you know, five times that fee through the work that we've done for the other company. Yeah. So I would want to give you a plan. And I'd say, you know, you got to leverage your LinkedIn. We've got to find those right contacts. Like, how do we do that? If we don't have an introduction we can make, usually we can find one, right? I've been recruiting since 2007 and early 2007. And I use LinkedIn before LinkedIn was really a thing. And it's really still not to the degree that it could be. So I've got, you know, 12,000 connections on LinkedIn across Canada and into the U.S. I'm going to be able to find that, you know, one or two degrees of separation to help make the plan for you or whomever. Yeah. Because the chocolatiers and the artists and, you know, all of these types of positions and opportunities weren't a thing. And so now there's there's ways into that stuff. So it's just about having the conversation and then figuring out the plan. And so people leave with a plan. And then they have to work the plan, just like when you go to the gym and the personal trainer gives you yeah. the plan. If you don't work it and you eat chocolate for breakfast like I do, it's not going to work. <laughs> right? <laughs> so if I came to you and like, I've been a musician for 20 years, yeah. but I, I want to find something more stable and I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Where would we go from there? So we would start, I would have you come to the call, the Thursday call anyway, just to kind of, again, listen and get the dynamic of me and how I work. Because again, I'm yeah. not for everybody. Yeah. Um, I think I'm from a lot of people right now because we're really picking up some momentum around like our approach to it. Because again, we're not checklists um, and check boxes and trying to put you somewhere that you don't fit. And then what it would be is there would be the assessment tools that we would use yeah. um, to, to kind of, again, gain insight into you as an individual and then we would do coaching sessions around like the pre-work and the assessment. So I could start to ask more questions that would be helping me to understand what could you maybe be interested in doing, right? Because someone might say, well, you could only ever do, you know, music production or, but you might want to write a book. You might want to go and like, you know, work as like an operations manager for for Indigo because you've, you've written so long and you're really passionate about the word. But until we start to figure those things out, so I really like hold your hand through the process to say like, okay, it's good, bad, ugly, otherwise, we're going to unpack all of that. And then we're going to kind of like, it'll, it feels like, you know, you're just pouring a whole bunch of stuff into the funnel, but it gets really narrow really quickly. Um, and I can see that, but again, you're technically not supposed to see it because you're living it every day, right? You're on autopilot or you're just like, what are skills that I have? that I can guarantee you don't even realize you have them to the strength that you do because they just come very naturally to you. Mm -hmm. And then as we went through kind of that pre-work and the assessments and then again, the conversations and it be a safe space where you can say like, I hate what I'm doing. I never want to do this again. I don't want to like pick up a guitar ever again, or I don't want to write. And some people get to a point where their passion then becomes a pain because it does feel like work. Mm -hmm. And then as we whittle through those things, I start to make recommendations I also get like, I'll take homework away for like the next session that we do, but I'll also give you homework and things to think about so that when you come back to have conversation with me, hopefully there's some clarity. I've never had it be that more than two of the first sessions don't start to gain some clarity to give us the right path uh, inside of that. And then 
we make a plan. Like, do you yeah. need a resume? Do you need to be a LinkedIn? Is it because of your background? Most of your connections are on Instagram, as an example. What does that look like? Who can we reach out to? I'm reading a really great book right now. It's called Friend of a Friend uh, by Dave Burkus. And my business coach actually um, had recommended it through through someone before. And it basically is saying, like, it's not your first connections that are the most important. Like, it's not the people that you talk to on the daily basis. It's the kind of the people that you might not have talked to in the last year that can really lend in terms of who should you be having conversations with. So I really try to go, if we're connected because we're like doing coaching and we're working together, we're technically first connections, but it's the people behind me that are going to, you know, have the job opportunity for you Mm -hmm. or give you the clarity that you're going to need once we have your plan and like open those other doors. So you'd come feeling very overwhelmed and like, this is not going to work you would see very quickly that it does work. And once we have the plan, then we both work the plan. Like you just don't get a piece of paper with a, you know, 10 checklist thing that you need to do and it's going to all come together. You've got that support behind in terms of being able to say, okay, Jen's, you know, making this introduction over here or she's recommending I do this. And like, then you move those steps forward because I think, I don't know. I just really think we all need kind of, again, people have personal trainers for a reason. People have, Mm -hmm. you know, accountability and life coaches for a reason this is just really dedicated to your career, but a career that's going to feel fulfilling and rewarding. Because like I said, if if you can just feel like I do, even 20% of the time, you're going to be winning because you're loving what you're doing. And it's just the momentum comes from that. For people listening at home, yeah. what would be one or two questions they might ask themselves to find that clarity? Oh, that's really good. And maybe it's, you know, we talked a lot about values and that mm-hmm. being not only an important priority, but something that we don't talk about a lot. So maybe it's a question in that vein that we haven't been asked very often in our life. Yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't. And I don't, I don't think we've been asked it very often in our life. I would also say that I didn't really hone in on my values until probably the last six months. Mm. Right. In terms of who, not only what do I want my company to be, right? Because again, it was, I'm going to be an independent consultant. And now it's like, now we're a business, now we're a company. And like those stages are happening. So I think we don't really talk about the values because, again, we just it's just not something we've ever really talked about. So I don't think anyone or I would say majority of people don't really know what their values are. Right. So to gain some clarity on that. But I think there's a, there's something to be said for just sitting in the silence a little bit. Right. And saying to yourself, like what? And again, you might not know what you like because of the fact that you just we're all on autopilot. Right. Like we're all doing the thing. So. I think the first question I would say is, what did you want to be when you were a child, mm-hmm. right? And because we all knew what we wanted to be when we were seven. And again, it's probably one of those seven things that we talked about at the beginning. But then there was someone who wanted to be in a band and write music. Or there's someone that wanted to paint or be a backup dancer for Janet Jackson yeah. or whatever that <laughs> looks like, right? So I think I would say, like, what did you want to be when you were a child? And like, when you you go, okay, I wanted to be a nurse. Well, are you a nurse, right? And is it that you're a nurse, but Things, it did, again, doesn't look as great on as it did on paper 30 years ago. And is it, do you stay in nursing, but you do something different? Or is it that you wanted to be a nurse because you, ha- like, there was empathy and there was concern for others? And maybe you're not going to go back to school and be a nurse, but maybe you're going to be involved in the community in a different way and serve and take care in a different sense. And because the world we're in right now, the awesome thing about it is if you can't find it, you can create it. Right. Like I listen to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk as well. And he's like, there are people that are making, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year because they do a friend's podcast and friends hasn't even been on the year, year, air in 20 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
It is overwhelming to sort through all of it, but that's why you need someone who's not tied to you emotionally. Like I wouldn't suggest that you coach Mike, right, to figure out those kind of pieces. Someone who can be objective and say, this is what it potentially should look like. And then the other question I would, I don't think it's a question for the other part. I think I would just say like, if you have an opportunity to sit somewhere where it's quiet, it's really hard to do because it forces you to stop. But I also know that as a business owner who's got a million ideas in her head, and then sometimes feels very overwhelmed. When I just sit and don't do anything, if I have a notebook there, like things start to come and you'll start to gain some clarity of like, if I could do anything, what would it be? That was always the question we asked in interviews. Like if money wasn't an object and you didn't have to go back to school and you could do anything, what would that look like? Start there. That's great. Yeah. You said earlier that when you first started this journey, it was about, I just want to work for myself, recreate my salary. This will satisfy me. Mm -hmm. Where are you now? Hmm. (laughs) It's as as, So again, school uh, parking lot conversations with one of my best friends, Carrie Ann. I said to her literally last week, I said, you know, yes, going back to the time at the bike and being, it was, that was the big vision. Like the big vision was, I just want to like replace the salary and be on my own. And then in hindsight, that is now the little vision. So I think as I'm looking at it, there is a component that is like add more team members, build the business bigger, you know, create brand awareness and be a thought leader. And those things are very true Um, for me, because I do know now what my personal values are and where they're aligning. For me, it's really about I want to love what I do every single day because I know the majority don't. Right. Like they either absolutely hate it. Or they feel it's like a grind and they just don't know how to make a change. And then there's some that kind of feel. But for me, it's kind of I I want people to feel that way. But for me, it's like a legacy build. Like I have a son who technically should know what he wants to be when he wants to grow up based on how we were all raised. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't. Um, And then I have a daughter who's the fiercest firecracker I've ever met in my entire life that I want them to know that they have options and I want them to be uh, true and authentic to themselves and know that it, like they might, I didn't figure that, I didn't start my business till I was 45, right? So if you're 20 or 25, even if you're 35 and you don't really know, you, you do have time. And so I think the legacy that I want to leave as we build all of this out is like, you can be happy what you're doing. And when you are happy, even if it's something that's non-traditional, the money follows because we all we all have to take that into account, right? Like you have to take into consideration because we need to eat and we need to yeah. you know live. But if I can just imp- have one person be like, and you know, and maybe it's Pastor Mike, and and maybe it's not, but for someone to be like, you know what, it made a difference for me to have that conversation with you, and now I'm doing X and Y. Like that's the big vision for me of like how many people can I do that for? I love it. And you you actually answered the last question I was going to ask oh, you ask about. It anyway. Well, <laughs> if you believe that. If we're doing what we love, that the money will naturally come. Well, and fully transparent when so the company that I worked for before and again, so not a university degree and no real formal education other than I figured it out as I went with the jobs that I had. My all in base package, whatever, where I was, was around seventy five thousand dollars. So that's really good for grade 12 education in Halifax and no real other formal training over and above that. So that was the goal. And then as, you know, again, I love what I do. I can write resumes. I can coach people through stuff. I can give you the right interview question to ask because that stuff, I don't know why I like it. It just, it's one of those really natural things for me. Um, When I got to a point that I was invoicing out that $75,000 in a quarter, I was like, oh, and not feeling like I was working and not feeling like 
you know, I never miss a hockey game. I never miss my daughter's acro unless my son is playing hockey and I've got to juggle some things around. But mm-hmm. um, if my husband has a work function and I'm not, you know, tied up with something, I can usually move it around. So I don't miss the family stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are times where like, I'll put your phone away or what have you. But for the most part, I'm I'm there when they need me to be there. Um, you know, like, and now I'm doing in a quarter what it was taking me a year to do. And I'm also providing an income and livelihood for two people on my team that are crushing it. Right. It just, when you do what you like and those things come naturally, which sometimes you need someone to help you figure out what comes naturally to me. Cause when you do something so naturally, like I think when I came in, I said like, I'm good. I can handle it on the fly. Mm -hmm. Whatever you throw at me, I'm like, I'm not going to feel stuck. I didn't realize that that was something that came naturally to me until I started having these kind of conversations and someone pointing out like, you're always like, you're able to be on. I get that from, for sure from my mom, but I didn't really realize that until and I started doing it. You don't necessarily even realize that as being a skill in and of itself, right. much less that you possess it. It's like, oh, yeah. I didn't know this was even a thing that people noticed you could right. or could not be good at. Yeah, which I think is a good kind of segue as well to say, like, one of the things that we do work on is the transferable skill set, right? Because you can say, you know, I use this particular software. I know this, I have this kind of designation. Those are your hard skills, mm-hmm. right? But your soft skills will take you so much farther. And mine is communication. Like I'm comfortable speaking. You could throw me in a room full of 50 people. And if you needed me to go up on stage last minute and talk about something, I can do it. Yeah. Um. I'm not really good at, you know, kind of some of the administrative capacity things behind the scenes or having sometimes the tough conversations with people I really care about. But I don't until you start to become aware of those things, you don't realize what is like your natural skill. Like, like, oh, I I do that all the time. So you should be able to do that all the time when that's not the case. Right. I couldn't write music to save my life, Mm -hmm. but it probably comes very naturally to you. And you're probably really lucky that you've been able to do that as a career, whereas someone else would be like, I wish I could write music. And you're like, it's easy to sit down and lock yourself in the room and you do it or whatever your process is. Right. Yeah. And I guess over time. Maybe at the start, it feels like it's okay. I have to focus on it, but I've I've never actually sat down and felt like I've had to put energy into creating something. It just it comes. just happens, right? See, that's awesome. Yeah, and there's probably someone that's like, oh, I wish I could, or you know, someone that picks is an athlete very, very naturally and doesn't yeah. have to put the extra time in. So you. When you, I think when we as humans can do something very naturally, we don't realize it because it just happens, right? When someone else makes notice of that or points that out to us, they're like, oh, okay. And then like, how do you maybe then hone that as a craft or a skill? So I try to really identify the transferable skills and the soft skills in someone because that's the stuff that comes naturally to them. So one of the questions in the assessment that we ask where the pre-work is, if you had to give a presentation, would you rather create the presentation behind the scenes and then hand it off to you to present? Mm. Or are you okay being in front of the room? Would you rather talk on camera or behind the scenes like this on a podcast? And those things start to help me figure out, okay, well, if you're not comfortable talking for, in front of a room full of people, I'm probably not going to have you be a facilitator for new hire training for 15 people. Yes. It's just not your, it's not your strength. We'll find it. And then being able to like identify those things. But again, it's really hard to identify your own skills because the ones you really want to identify come so naturally you don't see them. Right? Wow. I'm so glad we had this time together. I feel like I've just, I have a lot of reflection to do now. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I do too. I always take stuff away from the conversations I get to have when I'm trying to like help someone get to where they are, give them something to think about. 
it always leads me to think about like, again, things I'm doing or how I'm approaching them and, and different things like that. So it just, mm. it's that's really inspiring. Like even, you know, we're, we're all in our forties. Like it's okay to change your mind. It's okay yeah. to try something new and just honor who you are and where you want to go and just embrace the, the skills and passions that you have in yeah. your life. I think the world needs it. I think that really is like, for me is the takeaway is the world needs who we were meant to be. And like, you can't, be who we're meant to be if like imagine if everyone in the world just stuck with those seven things mm -hmm. like right Boring. what would there be right and again i watch a lot of gary vaynerchuk and he's like you know if you're in your 40s you and technically like yes people get sick and things happen but technically if you're in your 40s you've only lived 40 percent of your life if you can live to 100 so why couldn't you change it now don't just quit and be like it's too bad i don't know how we're going to feed the family like mm -hmm. try to have the plan but at the end of the day, like work it on the side until you figure it out. Yeah. And it it just, it'll, the momentum spurs a lot. It really does. But you have to be willing to just say like, again, mine was blind faith, I guess. In hindsight, I, I must have had that confidence internally. But I was just like, you know, the spite and the stubbornness of don't set your goals too lofty. And what about whatever? I was like, that's on your soft skill list, stubbornness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's on all my lists. <laughs> Uh, for those that know me and love me are like, yeah, that's, they're having a giggle now. Yeah, they're going to be laughing <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. No, well, absolutely. this has been a very inspiring chat and lots to take away from it, like you said, Kristen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think just considering something as simple as our values is a really yeah. important thing. And I think like when you just think about it just really quickly, like, oh, well, I value family. And yeah. Like, but, but when you really get into the nitty gritty, like, what are my values? Yeah. Like, yeah. What, and, what do I care about? And they're, re I mean, again, yes, it is your family and your community and those things are, but I, it's deeper than that. Yeah. Like for me, mine is like authenticity for sure. And empathy and gratitude. Yes. Um, Resilience. Right. And yeah. I mean, Again, until you start to really sit with it, you would. You'd pick, like, family, community. You would say, you know, like, integrity is always a big one. Health. Yeah. But, like, it's it's deeper than that. And, mm. like, without being, like, you know, because not everyone's going to want to, you know, do that. Because it's hard to, like, reflect on some of those things. And, you know, I have no filter. I know that. But that's my authenticity. Yes. Right? And yeah. you know where you stand with me one way or the other. And for some, that's not great. And others, it is. But... I own that. So to have that self-awareness, it takes time. You're not going to probably find it in your 20s. And those that do, that's great. 40s are awesome. I mean, I'm, again, closer to 50 than 40 at this point. But, I, you know, through a lot of changes in my personal life and then starting this business, like you, there's a, just a level of clarity that comes with it. And you can go deeper on the values for sure. And I wouldn't expect that most people would know what theirs are, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You said almost 48. Do you have a birthday coming up? July 11th. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. On the horizon. It's on the horizon. Since it's June 9th. Nice. Chloe's also a June birthday 10th. coming up. Okay. Yeah, she'll be nine. And you? Um, Christmas Eve. Christmas December. Eve. So are you Sagittarius or Capricorn? Capricorn. You're, and you're a Gemini. I am. I'm sorry, Tried Mike. and true. I know. <laughs> My daughter's a Gemini. Deals with Sweet all Christmas. of us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, wow. So you mentioned the Thursday calls. Yes. Where can we send people to attend those or any other uh, websites, yeah. links that we you'd like the audience to check out? For sure. So I always say LinkedIn. Not everyone has it, but Jen Warrington on LinkedIn is the best place. Um, we post about the Thursday call um, a couple of days. So it, like it went out this morning. Um, I will give you a link so that you can include that as well. Um it, the the big that LinkedIn is where I spend the majority of my time. The website, uh, thefusiongroup.ca, we have a lot of our job postings posted there, as well as just insight on how to work together. 
Um, I would, you know, the call is the best place to start, right? And again, you don't have to turn on your camera and you don't have to ask a question, but you want to know, like, you know, just to t- dip your toe in the water, that's really the, the best place to start. We have things that we're working on for the fall that, that are going to come out that will be updated on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm actually going to be on CTV News next Wednesday morning oh, on the morning fun. show at the 8.15. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, like, why you should not pause your job search in the summer. Mm. Right? Most people are like, oh, I'm not going to do anything until September. It's like, well, you, don't jo- you don't join the gym in December. You wait till January when everyone else does. Right. So this is, a lot of people will do a hard stop on their career search uh, in the summer for, you know, people are on vacation or they don't think people are going to hire. Get your beach time in, right? You got to get your beach time in, but also because you can take your phone to the beach, you can do some kind of navigating through edge, that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, like last summer, I, I had said to um, somebody last year, like, I'm not really usually busy in the summer. Like, it's historically a slow time. Don't ever say historically something is slow. Mm-hmm. We were so busy last summer and those that stayed engaged and active are the ones that, you know, they they were hired and interviewed because they didn't wait till se- the September rush. Great tip. Yeah. Tune in next week then for that. Yeah. Well, thanks a million <laughs> Thank for coming here and sharing your knowledge. Yeah. And yeah, we got a lot to think about and just uh, we're excited. We might go sit on the beach in a little bit and uh, write a list of our own values. Yeah. See what comes out. And share them tag me yeah we will yeah Yeah. and probably tune in on thursday so we'll see you again in a couple days that would be amazing yeah thanks for being here we appreciate it immensely i appreciate you having me thank you cheers everyone Here we are, folks, at the introduction portion of the show. How are y'all doing out there? Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jen. Great chat, wasn't it? What do you think, Kristen? Another great chat. She's. Yes. This is somebody, this is another guest that we've had that we didn't know before. And when they walk out the door, you think, oh, this is a new person in our life. Yeah. This yeah. happens every time. I don't know why I'm surprised by this. That's the beauty of just getting to know someone a little bit deeper. You create a connection. We did keep Jen here for like 100 hours after the interview, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we asked a few more questions. Yeah, she's still here. She's our new roommate. <laughs> she probably felt that way. Yeah, she doesn't live far away, so she didn't have to drive far to get back home. That's right. We ate up her commute time with talking time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll think about it that way. But, uh, yeah, great chat. And, yeah, thanks for listening out there, folks. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, keep those. If this is your first time listening here, we, uh, we're so glad you tuned in. And if you can give us a little follow on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And uh, if you give a review, that's even better. That would be just amazing. We'd love you forever. That's not just the cherry on top that's like the extra sprinkles and handmade decoration that you get at the really fancy ice cream stores remember we went to that late night ice cream store in chicago and i got the cookie sandwich insomnia cookie yeah i remember before those stores existed wishing that they did like oh imagine if you could go just get a snack at two in the morning and now you can in the big cities at least Maybe we should open one in our house. We'll just open our freezer. There's snacks in there. Mm. Okay, let's go get a snack. Let's go Thanks, get a snack. everyone.